What you believe about Jesus will change everything you know about yourself, your world, your destiny. Welcome to our series on the Gospel of Mark, Son of God. You know, there are good things in life that everyone should enjoy. Uh, good relationships, hopefully uh, families with, with minimal strife and lots of closeness, uh, a meaningful job, uh, saving for the future, exercise, eating well, all of these things are good things, right? But there's an old saying that sometimes there's too much of a good thing. In other words, sometimes we can take a good thing and we can take it too far where it becomes bad. Uh, Take exercise, for example. If you exercise too often, your muscles don't get a chance to recover, and that's actually when your muscles get a chance to grow. And so you actually don't put yourself into a healthier situation. You actually put yourself into a sicker situation. You put yourself in worse health because you exercise too often, not giving yourself a chance to heal. If you work all the time, well, that's a problem too, because then that means that your life is identified by your work and your relationships and your physical health can suffer. If you sleep all the time, well, you never get anything done. If you eat all the time, well, you you know the problem that can come with that. If you eat too much. I remember when I was a kid, I was a huge fan of brownies. And one day my grandmother made her what I thought were just the best brownies in the whole world. And I ate almost the whole pan or a whole plate. And I was so sick afterwards. So much so that I didn't eat brownies. I didn't like the look of them. I didn't like the sight of them. I just wasn't interested in them anymore. I went from loving a brownie to not being interested in them at all until much, much later when I was uh, far, far older in high school. So I went years without touching another brownie because I took something good that was too far. I think it's possible for Christians to do the same thing. Take a good thing too far as we obey God. Now, I'm not saying that too much obedience is a bad thing. However, I think we can take obeying God and turn that into something bad by taking what is the letter of the law, just strict, blind obedience, and ignore the spirit of the law, the spirit of obedience, the reason behind why God gave us these things in the first place. You know, last week we talked about how Jesus seemed to commit all sorts of indifference to levels when it came to levels of sin and levels of righteousness. He had indifference to our human categorizations of what seemed to be big sin or what seemed to be big spiritual practices. He hung out with tax collectors, the worst of the worst sinners in the world. And yet, He wasn't practicing fasting, one of the uh, most revered practices that you could have. Only the best of the best practiced fasting on a regular basis. So how did Jesus make the distinction in deciding what righteous practices were best in the moment? 
And how should we, how should we practice our obedience to God? In a way, I think Jesus would say, and I think we're going to find this in our, in our verses today, that we need to remember a very key principle about the spirit of God's commands that he has given us. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So picture the scene, if you will. The disciples and Jesus were walking along a path or a road, and beside them was a field of grain. And it was the Sabbath day. Might have been a hot day, certainly a warmer day, even though it's a gorgeous day today. And to be walking along and just running their hands along the stalks of the grain and picking off uh, some of the grain itself. And they were rolling it in their fingers and getting, you know, the sweat and the, the wetness and the, the dust. And uh, it's not doesn't sound very appetizing, but they were basically rolling it into a paste and they were eating it along the way. And the Pharisees were extremely upset about this practice. Why? Why were the Pharisees so mad? Said they were breaking the law of God. How dare they do this? What's the big deal? For us to understand what is happening here, we need to understand the concept of Sabbath. Sabbath is a command from God. It is commanded in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments that we are to obey. And I am a firm believer that the practice of Sabbath one day in seven where we cease from our work, where we stop, where we get refreshed and revitalized by focusing our time and attention on God is absolutely necessary for our our lives today. I think uh, one of the things that we learned back when we held our course and in the book uh, that we held the course on that we based on it called uh, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, he noted that the Sabbath is something that our world desperately needs because we run from thing to thing and never pause and reflect on God's role in our lives and God's role in the world as we see it today. He wrote in his book that the daily office practicing pausing our day at regular times during the day to seek the Lord and the Sabbath the daily office and Sabbath are groundbreaking countercultural spiritual practices that go against our fast-paced Western culture to anchor us in the love of Jesus, to root our identity in who we are in Christ. I believe we need that because we can become so performance-driven in Western culture today. He goes on to say that practicing Sabbath for a 24-hour period each week to stop, rest, delight, and to contemplate God is one of the most powerful ways we can slow down our lives and stay connected to Jesus in the 21st century. This is one of the ten commandments that God gave Moses. And if you remember the stories, it's how God gave Moses two tablets that God himself wrote on. Moses would then later break the tablets in a fit of anger overseeing the idolatry of the people as he returned to them with these laws. And God would, he would go back up on the mountain and he would, Moses would rewrite them himself on these tablets. 
but they are from the finger of God himself. Take the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep it holy. How? By not working. So it's important for us to remember that this is for the people of God. And God was clear on who was supposed to observe the Sabbath. Everyone. What were they supposed to do? Not work. And so it's for everyone. Everyone is supposed to rest. The question then became, so what is rest? And what does it mean not to work? The Pharisees and the rabbis and the tradition that developed from that time to Jesus' day were very concerned about this. They wanted people to disconnect and follow God wholeheartedly to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, set apart for God. It was like the idea that this command of, well, you should rest. Well, well, what does that look like? Well, don't work. Well, what does that look like? It would be like going to a shopping mall or going to Wegmans and discovering that the parking lot had no lines painted on it for where cars could park, where cars would travel, where the uh, no parking zones were, where the loading zone was. Everybody just parked anywhere, defined, you know, defined their own parking spot, so to speak. You know, you and I get really mad when someone defines their own parking spot and doesn't park between the lines. And that's what the Pharisees are doing here. They took the time over centuries to develop these categories, over 39 categories of what it would mean not to work, to not try to, you know, use the Sabbath in a way that didn't rest from your regular labor. And back then that wouldn't have just been to, you know, provide money for your family, but that would have been to provide food uh, on the table. You were supposed to prepare it the night before and so on. So they painted all these lines in the parking lot of faith, so to speak. And here were the disciples just ignoring the lines and parking anywhere they wanted to. And they're furious. And Jesus responds in a way that I'm actually really surprised about. We read in verse 25 these words. He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is a story based on 1 Samuel 21. You may remember the story if you grew up in church, and if, even if you don't, I would encourage you to take your Bible this afternoon, maybe during halftime, during the game, and uh, take a read for yourself. It's a great, great story. David is on the run from King Saul. He and his companions are political fugitives. King Saul's not operating under the authority of God in this moment. He just wants to eliminate a political enemy. And David and his companions enter the house of God. They have no provisions, no weapons, no nothing. And the priest, God's representative, gives him the bread that only priests are allowed to eat by law. And no one, whether... It was at that moment or in 
oral tradition or in any of the uh, rabbinical interpretations that developed over the centuries said that the priest did the wrong thing or that David did the wrong thing. So how can the Pharisees not see the connection, Jesus says? He ties this all up by saying that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And what he means by that is this. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of people, not the deprivation of people. It was supposed to be good for people. And Jesus, his meaning becomes a lot clearer on what he means by that at the beginning of chapter 3. We read at the beginning of chapter 3 that another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then one of the saddest verses you'll ever read in scripture. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It's clear that the Pharisees didn't see eye to eye with Jesus on his understanding of the spirit of God's law. They had figured out the letter of the law perfectly, but not the spirit of the law. They tried to trap Jesus. They were watching him closely because here was a man who had a withered hand, a shriveled up hand. And it wasn't a life-threatening situation. An oral interpretation said to heal the man on the Sabbath would be work. And you can do it if it's a life-threatening situation. But in this case, just leave him be sick. Heal him on Monday. The Pharisees had forgotten the spirit of the law that Jesus was about to teach them. And this is actually the primary guiding principle of all of God's commands throughout all of Scripture to us. God's laws are good. And God's laws are for our good. They're for our benefit. And God's laws produce good. They produce good things in us. They produce goodness in us. And they produce goodness in the world. They change the world when we obey God's command, not just to the letter, but to the spirit of the law. So God's Laws cannot prevent good. They should produce good. And Jesus says, if you're going to use the law in a way that prevents God's good from being produced in you and produced in the world, then that is taking a good thing too far. What happened with the Sabbath tradition, as was understood in that day, was that it became impossible to do good. 
it became impossible to produce good, which goes against the very principle of what God's law was about. I remember when I was growing up, there was a local Christian camp that was near us. We would visit it uh, during the summer months. They brought in great Bible teachers and had a service every night. And, you know, families would come and they'd rent campgrounds or stay at their cottages, which they could have all year round. And they would be there all week for the teaching. Um, And Sundays uh, were a special day at the camp. They had a rule at the camp that said, because this is the Lord's day, You can't go swimming. Swimming was prohibited. Families were to gather together and sit and to to dwell on and ponder the Lord. I I, I think that's a great intention. However, kids were miserable. Oftentimes when they were camping, they might be in a tent, they might be near the, uh, uh, not have any air conditioning, and so here they are sweating at home and they're not allowed to go uh, get cooled off in the water. Families were miserable because the kids were miserable. They were bored out of their minds. Eventually, the camp changed the rule because families discovered a workaround, to be honest. They said that you can't go down to the lake and swim for fun. But what families started to do was take a bar of soap with them down to the lake. This was before we realized how bad soap was and what it would do to the algae uh, production, how it would amplify that, and that was bad, so they don't do that anymore. But people would take a bar of soap down to the lake, and the kids would go swimming with the bar of soap. And if someone would ask them, hey, why are you swimming and having fun in the lake? Oh, not. We're taking a bath. It just happens to be a very animated one with lots of water splashing everywhere, but we're just taking a bath. That's how families got around the rule. And eventually the camp just dropped the rule altogether because it didn't accomplish good in the lives of the families that they were hoping to have come and be refreshed, renewed under God's teaching. God's laws are good because they're meant to produce good in us. So the practice of them should not prevent good from happening that is the heart of obedience you know righteousness that doesn't produce good is like an artist a painter who has all of the different brushes in the world and all of the different colors in the world in their studio along with blank canvases because they've never painted they've never produced anything of value And we would never walk into that studio and say, look at all of the things that you own. Look at all of the toys that you're able to to use. What have you produced? We would never just marvel at the toys they have. We want to see what they've done with their possessions. We want to see what they've done with the paint colors, with the paint brushes. To see blank canvases is like a Christian who would use the letter of obeying God's laws to prevent good from being produced in them and in others. Righteousness. Righteousness is not something to prove that you're godly. Righteous practices 
are not something to prove that you're godly, but to produce godliness in you. And that's a good thing. Hear me well. I think you and I need to practice our righteousness more. I think one of the things that we've seen in this season of the pandemic, and especially as it starts to flare up again uh, over the country, and we're starting to hear rumors about, you know, there may be restrictions that come to Monroe County uh, in these next few days because of of, uh, increase in COVID-19 numbers. I think one of the things that we've seen is I think that Christians need to be practicing their righteousness more and intentionally doing so. I think we need to be worshiping more together, meeting online, inviting our friends to uh, gospel moments, gospel encounters where they can consider the claims of Jesus. I think we need to be worshiping and worshiping with our families more. I think we need to be serving more than we have before. I think we need to be giving more than we have before because this is an opportunity for people in this crisis to hear the good news about Jesus like never before. The Christian life is a life of surrender to God. And I think this is a time of surrendering to God and I'm proud of the way that Christians have done that. I've struggled with the way that Christians have acted selfishly over this season as well. So I've seen that too. But when Christians step up and surrender, I've seen the gospel move forward. And I'm excited about that. But our surrender cannot be by blind obedience, by the letter of the law. It needs to come from the spirit of the law as well. And that remembers that We practice obedience because it's good for us. We practice obedience because it produces good in us and through us. God's commands are always meant to produce good and should never, ever prevent it from happening in us and from happening in our world. Some questions for you as we close that you'll be able to discuss with your family as you watch online as we close today. You'll be discussing them in your growth groups this week, and you'll find these questions on our website under the Messages tab once it's uploaded uh, later this week. Here they are. Question one. What are some examples today of how Christians obey God's law to the letter but ignore the spirit of God's law, which is to produce good in and through us? Can you think of a time in your life when your personal experience was based on proving your godliness more than producing godliness? And question three, how can we encourage each other to practice our faith in a way that produces God's good in and through our lives? God's commands are meant to produce good, not prevent it. As we follow Jesus, as we obey his commands, let's not only obey him to the letter, but to the spirit of his laws together. Let's pray. Jesus, there are times when we have, well, to be honest, mailed it in. When we've obeyed you and said, that's good enough. And there's been times when 
We've obeyed you to the point where we think that if other people don't blindly do what we do in the exact same way, that they, they haven't followed Jesus to the depth and level that they could. We expect them to practice the same things we do, to enjoy the same music that we do, to, to lead their family, to, to work, to vote, to all of those things in the same way we do. But Lord, in those moments, would you help us to remember that your law has a purpose, your commands have a purpose, that it's not just blind obedience that you desire, but that you want to use these commands to produce good in us and produce good through us. That your laws can never prevent your good from being accomplished in the world and in our lives. So Lord, would you help us to remember that as we follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we follow your commands to the letter and to the spirit in which they were given.